0: When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420, The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Let's uh, start thinking positively. You have power over your mind, not outside of that. Realize this, and you will find strength. That's Marcus Aurelius. No matter what kind of challenges or difficulties or painful situations you go through in your life, we all have something deep within us that we can call on. That is Plato. Life is not about waiting for the storms to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. That's Vivian Green, by the way. And I was always looking outside myself for strength and confidence, but when it comes from within, it's always there, all the time. I don't remember. I, th- I think that was uh, Anna Fluid. So anyway, um, you know, we always talk about on this show. There's a lot of uh, we have a lot of good things. If you go to WHK 1420 AM and go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes, you can go directly to my webpage. And on my webpage, you can pick up things like our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list. Uh, You know, we have our new workbook, Women and Wealth, the planning workbook, Uh, the Savvy Investors Credit workbook. I've said interest rates are not going to stay down long, and I've been right so far. Uh, The Business Owner's Guide to Transition. By the way, you get a family inventory workbook, which uh, I think is the first step to getting organized, you know believe me i 've been through a couple of nightmares when it comes to people who died early, if there is such a thing, and they had stuff all over the place and if you If you have a family inventory workbook it 's all in one place, so someone who 's behind you knows where everything is, and that's that 's an important step by the way. I also talk about a wealth plan. I noticed that several of my clients were active on the wealth plans. Uh, uh, I think it was Friday or Saturday, and uh, so I'll be in touch with them Monday because it's interactive. You know, when they're looking at it, I know about it, and uh, um, I'll make that call. Uh, anyway, this is a live show, so if you got a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Look, um, the question has been poised by investors Struggling to understand the low-quality bent to the U.S. markets' performance that has been in place since March. Uh, when it will end, and it's an important issue since it's been contributing to active manager manager underperformance. So, what the managers have done is gone to more of an S and P 500 strategy. Now, I have been talking about this digital mania for nine months now. If you would have followed me into that, you'd be up fifty or sixty percent last year at least. Okay, uh, some people didn't. Okay, some people uh, are a little bit more conservative. I understand that, and because uh, some of these names are aggressive. Okay, uh, so the answer is that this too shall pass. Eventually, uh, high quality leadership is likely there to, to return if the stock market pullbacks, uh, you know, are temporary, and, would, and I expect one in the first half. I just don't know when. In but since last March, U.S. equity uh, market put. It's COVID recession bottom end, and, and we had two related trends have been clear. First, low-quality factors in the eyes of many investors, low ROE, high short interest, that type of thing, have outperformed the Russell 1000 large-cap universe. And uh, second, most long-only active managers in most of the major large-cap funds have lagged their benchmarks, it's a problem. So uh, on the, on the first trend it's important to note that the outperformance of the low quality factors within the large cap is fairly textbook behavior for US equities coming out of a recession. That's the way it works. They go to the, I mean look at 2009. It was the low quality, you know, Bernanke saved all the low quality companies by, you know, his uh helicopter approach, shall we call it. So uh so so looking back over the last three recessions, we you know, if we analyze them, it was the low quality trades that really did the best. Uh and that would you know, they outperformed the Russell one thousand each time. So uh we found the leadership in the large cap quality trades tend to flip flop. So what you're doing is rotationally uh you you people are rotating from group to group in the large cap sector. So uh that that's another thing you have to think about. And uh you know, I I, I think that uh, one last thing is uh, it's important to note that the underperformance of large cap long only active managers around the COVID-19 recession has been unusual. In the past, most active managers and most of the large cap categories that we track beat their benchmarks. So very unusual. So uh, the, the small the, the small cap area is a big story right now and within the Russell 2000 low quality factors in the eyes of many investors, you know, the low return on equity, the high net to debt, uh, net debt to capitalization and high short interest have been the key, i.e., you know, stuff like AMC entertainment and, uh, our friends over at our favorite video store. Uh, so the point is, is that, you know, it's probably going to continue for a while and, uh, you know, so if you're if you're looking for uh, a change, I don't think so. I I think 2021 will be known for small caps when they start pulling back. When the Fed starts pulling back, that's when you want to bail. Okay, and I don't see that happening for six nine months. Now, the other thing we're seeing is that global yields yields have been trending higher for many months. Uh, you know, we we're almost at two percent on the thirty year Treasury. I think we we hit it on Friday. Uh, and we're at one and a one point two percent at the ten year. Now there's a lot of resistance in the ten year at one thirty four. Just remember that we talked about that last week. But what is driving the yields? Uh, to this point, it's all best, uh almost entirely due to the market repricing inflation expectations from deflation, <laughs> because that's that was the Fed mandatory thought process. I, I don't know what they, they were swatting at flies and aren't there. Uh, so. They thought there was inflation. There never was. I mean, when the Commodity Research Bureau goes down eighty-five percent, there's no inflation. Let's put it that way. So we're we're putting inflation back into the equation because the Fed says to now, how much inflation is the quest question? And I think what you know, the the ten-year and the thirty-year treasuries will be based on the fact that what we could have is some kind of in, inflation scare. I mean. Mr. Biden cuts off the pipeline. We automatically have a problem in Texas. How would you like to have a Tesla in Texas right now? You know, where are you going to charge it? Okay. So the point is we're, you know, crude oil is not going away anytime soon. We probably got 10, 12 years before it it becomes a problem. But when you start to restrict supply, we get the price over 60. I mean, we do, we just made our price, you know, our, our 12 year price target at 60 uh, last week. So, um, some things are happening that uh, I think are kind of important, and uh you know look i I talked about this and i i 'll talk about it again, but you know bob um, um Tom Porcelli, our head economist, he talked about uh you know at the beginning of the year he he said we he we he started out saying that the outside of a significant variant from the virus or the vaccine distribution problems, he felt comfortable, comfortable saying that the real risk to our 5% growth baseline estimate was to the high side, all right? So look, there's no inventory out there. People haven't been producing. The factories haven't been running for a pretty long time. So if there is inventory, it's gonna be like trying to find water in Texas, all right? You know, right now, uh you know, I, I it was a friend of mine, Posted, uh, you know, to me on, I think it was Instagram or something like that. He, you know, he was in Texas. Some guy, all these people stole all the water outside his store, but they left money. They threw money into the, into the mail slot, which I think was pretty cool. So there's a lot of good people out there. But I think the point is what I'm trying to make here is that inflation is expected to be higher than it was a year ago. That's why yields are up. Okay. So uh, I mean, look oil was minus $40 a barrel back in April. It's now 60. All right. Boy, what a time to have taken that, that oil. Like a lot of people made it rich if they had a place to store it. The other thing is, I think on the commodity side, is that natural gas is a very interesting scenario right now because it's freezing outside. You know, I told you last week I took my dogs out. It was like zero, you know, negative two degrees, and I took my dogs out and they walked and went right back in the house, okay? And they're Labradors. They, they love the snow, all right? So it's it was, it's cold. Natural gas has, has popped over $11 now. Uh, at least, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, the natural gas ETF has popped over $11. Natural gas has popped. Look at copper. Copper's up another 4% this week. Remember, we talked about, you know, we were – for our clients, we were buying Freeport mcmoran between five and thirteen bucks. That was one of our great calls uh, for the infrastructure, and it's—you know—I think it hit $37, 38 bucks. Now I'm not recommending the stock here, but I mean it's been a home run. Uh, copper has, has been a place to be, yet gold is being sold off, which is another interesting scenario because I, I think Bitcoin is the new gold. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but. Um, Look, we had a lot of supply declines uh, in in November and December, and now suddenly we don't have enough natural gas. Natural gas is spiking. That's the way it works, folks, okay? So we have some commodities spiking, oil, natural gas, copper, and then we've got gold and silver getting beat up, but Bitcoin going crazy. So maybe Bitcoin is the, the place where everybody's headed, okay? I don't know. The other thing I want to talk about is, you know, we've been talking about uh, environmental, social, and governance on this show for a long time. It's a newer form of responsible investing whereby investors seek a symbolic relationship between investing and societal good, all right? Now, this is important with stocks because, you know, BlackRock has gone 100% that way, okay? BlackRock controls about 35% of the money in the market, so you got to pay attention, all right? Now the other thing you have to think about, uh, you know, when when investors utilize these three criteria to measure the potential risk factors in investing in a specific company, it's in congruence with sustainability and, and societal effects. All right. So, but people don't understand that they're doing this with corporate bonds too. Uh, oil companies are having to pay between a percentage point and a percentage point quarter. More than they did just a year ago. All right. So if you think they're beating up oil companies, you're right. Uh, you know, they're the most they're the Maytag repairman of the American society right now. So sustainable debt issues have seen rapid growth in the last year, uh, including 51.5 or 51.1 billion in new issue green bonds. That was in just 2020. So we're seeing a a positive byproduct, you know, corporate bonds with higher ESG scores tend to have higher credit rating scores, which is, in in hindsight, may be unsurprising, obviously, because they're they're doing things the right way. They don't have to worry about the environmental issues and that type of thing being sued. So, you know, once again, the, the environmental, social, and governance stuff is coming to play in corporate bonds. So it's not just equities, folks. It's corporate bonds, too. So for those people looking for income, uh, you know, you got to keep that in mind. you got to keep that in the back of your head. Because, quite frankly, uh, it'll be a situation, I think, that could be a problem. All right? Because, you know, if if for some reason uh, the Democrats, you know, go crazy on the oil companies, we could have, you know, further problems. So, I don't know if you want to be buying oil debt right now, right? Simple as that. Now, you know, I said last week, could the the 20s, you know, from 2020 to 2030 be a decade for international stocks? I think the dollars rally, and remember, I said it would rally about a month ago. I I was saying, you know, we're very oversold. I'm looking for a rally. Well, it's rally. The question is, will the rally hold? And uh, if our interest rates continue to go up, it'll hold. Interest rates prop up currencies. Okay. So that's something to think about. But we could, if the dollar starts to head south again, all right, uh, there'll be a lot of large cap companies um, in Europe, you know, that could do really, really well. Now, we have an ADR list and uh, I think it's up uh, at a total return, you know, been averaging a total return of 8.8% when the dollar has been strengthening. Versus, you know, 3.6% for the international large caps. Uh, You know, this is the period of U.S. outperformance, which is longer, twice, lasts about twice as long as, you know, historical performance cycles. So we could have a switch to international stocks if the dollar starts to go down. All right. Uh, You know, U.S. stocks have outperformed from basically 2009, 10, uh, 13, 14, 15, uh, no, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Uh, so far this year, inter- international stocks are outperforming U.S. stocks. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if this stays, you know, as is. All right. Uh, so I think you got to start to, you know, look. Uh, our friend, you know, who built the ark. <laughs> he Noah did not start building the ark the day before it rained. All right, he built it way ahead of time, and that's what I think you got to be thinking about. The stock market is a chess game; you have to be thinking two or three moves ahead. The ADR list might be one way. Hey, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Remember, uh, live live show two one six nine zero three zero nine four five two one six nine be right back. back just tuned in the smart investor show and you know a a couple interesting facts in 2019 38.5 million vehicles were affected by 881 recalls that's up from 19.7 million vehicles in 647 recalls in 2010 now we are making more cars but 2020 i from what i understand we didn't have as many recalls because nobody was driving. <laughs> According to American Pet Products Association, APPA, that is, by the end of 2020, the amount Americans spent on their pets grew to reach 99 billion, that's nearly 9 billion more than 2 years ago. Pet food and treats make up the biggest portion of the market at 34, at uh, 38.4 billion, followed by vet care and products at 30.2 billion. Uh, by the way, I have two Labradors, and I contribute to that. Uh, one goes to the vet because he we call him Chewbacca. He uh, eats things all the time. Anyway, uh, existing home sales in 2020 surged to the highest level in 14 years, landing 22% higher than a year ago. The National Association of Realtors reported January 22 of 2021 the median existing home prices for all housing types in December 2020 was $309,800, up nearly 13% from 2019. That's a lot. Wow. Uh, so, anyway. Um, you know, I, I was looking at things, and, you know, people have been asking me, uh, you know, Tim, what matters, okay? Uh, and – I think if you look, there's a lot of different takes on equity investing. It's ranging from, you know, algorithmic trading to retail investors, usually usually utilizing chat rooms. And it may be to lose sight of the principal investing, but it's not about which stock is moving or what technology is most anticipated. It's about future earnings. Politics do not drive stocks, earnings drive stocks. Okay, so I've had lots of people call me and say, what if this happens? You know, what if Biden does this? What if this happens? Earnings drive stocks. Now, politics can influence earnings. That's true. But over the past 120 years, the S&P 500's price has increased uh, about 5.3% annually, driven by 5% compound annual growth rate, in earnings per share. In other words, 95% of the stock market price appreciation has been driven by earnings growth. Now, the key is, is during bear markets, there is no earning growth. And that is usually when we're an over leveraged economy or something happens, you know, oil spikes, whatever it may be. In bull markets, we make up for that because we usually have growth rates in the 10 to 12 to 15% area, so that's something you got to remember. This relationship reinforced the quote from Warren Buffett's mentor, Ben Graham, in the short run, the stock market is a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. That means while shifting sentiment may drive variations in stock prices in the short term, long-term changes in equity prices, all about corporate results, earnings. So. With new stories about stock markets being driven up based on short interest or other non-fundamental considerations, investors may want to step back and just get back to the first principles and embrace research and sound decision-making. Okay? I say this simply because there's a lot of people out there that are trying to get you to trade for whatever uh, reason it may be. But look, it's & Poor's slipped about uh, a little less than a percent this week, uh, taking a breather from its recent record highs. And its decline was led by healthcare, utilities, and and the technology sector, uh, which outweighed gains in the sectors, including energy and financials. Uh, You know, we've been talking about financials. We've been talking about consumer discretionary. We've been talking about industrials and energy leading the way. Okay. We have not been talking about technology. Technology will be okay, I think. But, you know, I think there's, Change in leadership going on. So, uh, the mark market uh, benchmark ended the week at thirty nine oh six point seven one. So, down from last week's credit uh, record high. Now, there was a lot of damage done in that in that group and uh, are are in the markets, I should say. Uh, The healthcare sector, and I'm talking about uh, not you know when I'm talking about healthcare, I'm talking about the providers for the most part, okay? They get, they dropped 2%. Uh, now, on the other side, uh, we had transportation in a new high, okay? So, uh, you know, uh, we had a lot of financial sector gainers. Uh, you know, we, we had some of the indexes uh, or, or the exchanges go higher. We had a lot of the banks go higher. Uh, so, uh, it was an interesting week, and I I guess if I was uh, looking at things, uh, you know, we we had the transport hit a new high. That's good. The Dow and the S&P hit a new high. That's the definition of a Dow theory buy uh, bull market, okay? Uh, Dow theory buy signal. But you have to have utilities pick up. And the utilities are turning, so it'll be interesting to see if they were to pick up, that'd be pretty good. Now, I looked at the NASDAQ 100, which has been on a tear the last few months, and it moved to a new high. But a medium-term breath indicator is not keeping pace, meaning you've got the generals and, the, and some of the, you know, the, the uh, knights and the kings leading the way. And some of the foot soldiers are heading back to the barracks. So uh, that's not a good sign. Um, usually when this occurs, you, know, you see a corrective phase coming. So uh, you know, we do have the bullish percent at 76. It's way up there. Now, the good news is we look. I looked at the last, you know, there's been 22 times in the last 34 years where the bullish percent went above 70, went below 70, a- into a column of O's, and then turned back up above 70 into a column of X's. Uh, and the, the next couple months weren't so great, but the year-over-year gain average was about 22%. So uh, now there's four times where it was ugly (laughs) so but on the 18 other times it was very positive so we'll just keep our fingers crossed um so i i just think you know when you when an indicator uh shows you know less and less participation by a group that's when you want to pay you know more attention to what's going on okay uh so it's a medium indicator uh and look i i think a couple things number one I had a conversation with, uh, Jeff, uh, this week and Jeff's a nice guy who calls me occasionally. I, I was hoping he was going to open an account, but it doesn't look that way. Uh, and he, he's made some dumb mistakes, to be honest with you, but he's a nice guy. Okay. He's a nice guy. Um, and so he told me what he was buying and I thought to myself, it would be, you know, he's looking at semiconductors. OK, and he's looking at uh, some of the ETFs. And I think right now it's a, probably a better time to buy individual semiconductor stocks. Uh, there's two that I have my eyes on, one that I bought a lot last week, another one I thought was going to buy a little bit more, but uh, it did not come back. Uh, so it was a bit of a problem and, uh, you know, not nothing I could do about it. Uh, but it, it happens. And, and, you know, you just you've got to. Uh, you got to go with, uh, go with the flow. Uh, so I think the the key is, is that, uh, the semiconductor, you know, sometimes the ETF is not always the best way to go. Right. So I I say that simply because a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, tend to, you know, buy them no matter what. And, uh, you know, that's usually not the right idea either. Okay. So, um, anyway, uh, there's some other things I think we have to talk about here, and I, I think what I would be looking at, um, mm-hmm. how can I say this without, well, look, I, I think there's a major theme that, that is going to carry uh, equities higher over the next probably five to 10 years. And, and that is, we're in a secular bull market. And remember, uh, you know, People are saying, well, didn't we have a bear market in the spring? Yes, we did. And you can have secular bear markets within a rising bull market. Look at 1987. We had a 20% 20 crash in one day, okay? And we just took off after that. It was shaky for a while. (laughs) But then we took off. Then four years later or three years later, we had Saddam Hussein roll in, and we had another bear market. So, And then we just took off like a bat out of you-know-where. And so just remember, we're in a situation um, where uh, this is about the time in the bull market when the small caps will probably provide a lot of leadership. Uh, and I, I think it's important. one of the things that nobody's talking about is money supply. And you know the money supply was growing under under Powell and um, our new treasury secretary at about two to two and a half percent. Because what they were doing is, and they weren't telling people this, by the way, and I, re, I get the Fed, the, the St. Louis Fed letter, and I didn't see it there either. It wasn't in print anyway. They were taking, you know, 40, 50 billion a month and, and giving it back to the treasury. Uh, so, and then they were paying the banks 50 basis points to keep reserves, which was more than they were making on loans. So why make loans? Okay. But now the money supply is up 26%. So I think for the next year until, like I said, the Fed starts to slow things down, which they will eventually, the small caps are where you want to be. Now, the small caps broke out big, uh, I think it was back in, uh, you know, uh, October, November. And and now they're going to, you know, they're probably that'll be a pullback. But, you know, that's something, uh, you know, you have to pay attention to. Let's just put it that way. So it's so something to think about. I think small caps could. Uh, go crazy. Now, the other thing is West Texas Brent and Brent Crude, uh, you know, I, look, I think there's <laughs> there could be climate change. I don't know. It's, I'm freezing up here, but uh, I think they pulled the plug too soon on some of the the on the natural gas and also oil. So stay tuned for that. Hey, we'll be right back with the uh, Bullish Percent. This is Smart Investor Show. Remember, it's a live show. 216- Thanks. That. Hey, hate to interrupt a good guitar solo uh, that's what I do uh, in my spare time I play guitar <laughs> today Bitcoin uh, or yesterday Bitcoin reached an all-time new high it surpassed 50,000 bucks so we now it's now billion dollar market uh, you know that one of the problems is, is that there's an ETF out there that uh, looks to track the Bitcoin but it's Unfortunately, it's, uh, worth the, the, ETH, the net asset value of the ETF is more than the market, which is a problem. So you got to be careful with it. So if, if you're involved, but it's got a high fund score. So that's something that you have to pay very close attention to. So, um a big announcement, you know, we talked about Bob Dickey is retiring and I don't think we're going to have the daily technical analysis on my webpage starting at the end of this month. The good news is Rob Schleimer has come back to RBC uh, and taken over Bob's, uh, you know, Bob's a legend. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but he was on CNBC with Mark Haynes, who another legend who died way too early, I think. And, uh, and the reason why Bob wasn't on uh, CNBC much after that was he said, I think we entered a bear market. Uh, and he was like a week from the high uh, in 2000. And uh, the problem is he didn't tell us. <laughs> he said on TV, which, some of the people had problem with in research. I uh, can't understand it, but they did. Anyway, uh, we wish Bob well. He's a great guy. He's uh, If you ever saw him, and we had five uh, different seminars with Bob in town in the last couple of years. And he's, he's uh, very informative. He's very down to earth. Uh, he's going to retire and go fishing. And uh, God bless you, Bob. You're the greatest. Uh, but we do. We bring in Rob Schleimer. Who was institutionally the number one guy out there and uh, was working with FunStrat and we offered him the job and he jumped at it. Uh, Rob is a high quality guy. And uh, so we'll talk, you know, if we have some time, we'll talk about him at the end of the show. So anyway, uh, the bullish percent now at 77, it's up 3% for the week. Uh, It would reverse down at 70. Uh, Now what's interesting is the over the counter index is now at 73. Uh, and the world index went back into a co- column of X's this week at 59. So none of these are cheap. You know, you, you'd really like to buy the, you know, the bullish percent, remember, was designed as a risk management tool. Okay. And what it does, it's totally objective. There's no subjectivity here. If you're a column of X's, you have the offensive team on the field. You have a column of O's, you have the defensive team on the field. Believe me distribution or a column of O's happens a lot faster than the X is being put on. When we're above 70, that's the red zone. That's where we are right now. Things are too hot to handle, as you probably have noticed lately. When you get below 30, that's when everybody's crying in their beer. Nobody opens their 401K statements, etc., etc. We're not even close to that. Now, I said this earlier in the show. There's been 22 times when we were above 70, dropped to 60, into a column of Os and then reverse right back up uh, in, into a column of Xs. Uh, and 18 of the times we averaged a really nice return over the next 12 to 24 months. Four times it wasn't so good. So I don't know what this is going to be, but you know we'll, we'll let you know. But the positive trend indicator is up there too. It's now you know for the for the New York Stock Exchange it's now 78, which is you know that's a pretty high number. But look, if we look at dynamic asset level investing. Uh, U.S. equities continue to hold the top spot with international equities and commodities coming in at two and three. And I think if you look, uh, the S&P 500 broke out to a new high last night. And what I thought was interesting was the weekly momentum went positive on Dorsey Wright's system. So uh, by the way, Dorsey Wright's are the holder of the the bullish percent. Uh, They they did sell out to the NASDAQ. So now the NASDAQ, uh, uh, the actual index people, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, the uh, exchange people run this now, which is good because, uh, you know, we're getting the information right off the hot off the presses. But it did go positive last week. So maybe some of the bigger names will pick up. I don't know. Uh, uh, the Dow Jones has been, you know, in a weekly momentum, has been negative for nine weeks. So that's a long time. So we should see it pop up. Now, the EEM, the emerging markets, has been positive for seven weeks now. So you want to be careful there, but the large cap names, which I talked about earlier, uh, has been negative for nine weeks as, as the uh, small caps uh, or the mid caps have been negative for four weeks. The QQQ has been positive for two weeks, and so in the XLG. Uh, remember, we, we started to see some uh, on the advanced decline line We're we're going up with less and less stock, so that's something to, to worry about, okay? The the equal-weighted uh, relative uh S&P 500, where each stock gets one vote, has been negative for about nine weeks, whereas the capitalization weighted S&P 500 has been positive for a week. Uh, It was negative for about six weeks. So, look, if you look at uh, the small caps, uh, small caps have been leading the way by far and wide, uh, but the XLG did break a double top this week. Uh, The QQQs broke a double top, so the most bullish thing a stock or an ETF can do is go up, okay? Now, they may go up with less, you know, uh, people in an ETF, whatever, but if the stock is going up, it's going up. Now, we do have 34 sectors that are positive, that are favored sectors, which is a lot. The problem is there's nothing under 54. <laughs> 54 is, you know, is a number where you want to buy stuff, but, you know, look, we'll start out at 94 are semiconductors and savings and loans. That's why I told the guy not to buy the ETF, buy individual stocks. At at 84 are chemicals, gaming, non-ferrous metals, banks, building, uh, media, internet, and restaurants. At 76 is electric uh, products, automobiles, computers, transportation, textiles, business, leisure, and machinery. I would not buy any of those. I would wait for them to pull back. Uh, Still at 70 is software, housing, retail, financials, oil, healthcare, Wall Street, forest and paper products, steel, oil services, waste management, food. I still wouldn't be buying. And then at 64 is biotech, drugs, and aerospace. You can be selective there. I have noticed, like I said on the insider thing last week, three of the largest mutual fund companies on the planet have bought 40 or 55% positions each in small cap biotechs. Uh, I have a list of five or six, well, actually nine or 10, by the way, I own most of these of, uh, you know, what they bought that I think are worthwhile. Okay. So, uh, and then finally, the only thing at, at 54 is gas utilities. So we have nothing below 50 and uh, you know, when the, when the sine curve is way to the right, you don't, you don't want to mess with things usually, okay? You want them way to the left. So, you know, be careful out there. I think there's some ideas out there that I like, a couple in the semiconductor area, even with semiconductors overbought. I think you want to wait till they come back to you a little bit, although one I buy today. Uh, I'm not telling you what that is, that's for, you know, my clients to know and no one for you to find out. But yeah, so we, we are leaning, we're listing to the right. All right. You want to list to the left when you buy. That's what it comes down to. So uh, with all that, I mean, 34 uh, favored sectors and two thirds of them above 70. That's not that, you know, it's actually three quarters are above 70. That's that's not what you want, folks. You want you want it to be more. The only thing that really changed this week is Forrest and Paper products went to uh, a favored sector. Now, international equities are getting kind of interesting because uh, I've seen a couple things like South Africa broke out. Three different South African uh, ETFs broke out this week. One a double top and one went straight up after uh, it broke the double top. It was the second double top in a row, too. So I think the technical picture for South Africa continues, you know, to show improvement is what I'm trying to tell you. Um, And, you know, it's hard to actually, you know, imagine this, but most of those are mining companies. I mean if you look at their indexes and some of the ETFs that are out there, I would say, you know, 20% of the indexes are mining companies. So why are the mining companies breaking out and gold and silver breaking down? That's that's going to be something I, I, I'll be pondering for months, years, whatever. Now, the 10-year treasury uh, gained again. It got up to 1.2%, uh, but the bonds are breaking down. So as yields go up, Bonds go down. That's why I'm saying everybody's got those bond ETFs out there. You got to be careful because if we have a big spike in uh, the yields, you know, the bonds could get whacked. Okay. So you, you want to be paying very close attention. So, look, uh, there's been no major shakeups in terms of relative strength of fixed income. The, the yield indexes are on buy signals, the bonds themselves are on sell. Now, oil which had been negative for two weeks, turnaround went quite crazy. Copper was up 4% this week. It had been negative for about seven weeks, but it's held. So during this five or six, seven weeks that it was negative, it didn't go down. Okay? Nothing's more positive than a stock that doesn't go down when the momentum's dying. And then when it turns back up, it goes up. That's very impressive. So copper is, is really interesting. Uh, also, I, you know, natural gas is up 23% year to date, and I don't think that's going away anytime soon, especially as it was cold this morning when I walked my dogs. All right. Uh, and if you look at the, the seasonality, uh, analysis, you know, natural gas tends to peak around the end of April. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, January and February and March are really strong months usually for, uh, natural gas. So it'll be interesting to see how far that goes. Um, but I, I did see natural gas on, on a couple different ETFs. Uh, whether it's you know the continuous, uh, it broke a double top, and, and a couple of the ETF scores, uh, you know, they broke double tops. Uh, good looking charts in all cases. So uh, there you go. Now uh, we also have relative strength every week. We talk about relative strength because it, all it is is the measure of how a stock is performing to something else, and it's very positive. So these are names you want to participate in: B H uh, uh, Billiton, Cameco. TomTel Communications, Eagle Bulk Shipping, Sovio, Denmark Diagnostics, Natural Resources, Mantex, Neophonics, Quick Logic, Media Brands, Westwood, Chegg, Quotient Technologies, Immunic, Viper, Blackstone Minerals, and Yaron Digital. Uh, most of those are materials. Hey, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Insiders. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'll be right back. Okay, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. Uh, <laughs> always a good thing to end your show with. Anyway, uh, we talk about insiders on this show all the time, and uh, sometimes we take liberties on who insiders are. And uh, uh, But we're looking for smart people, okay? And uh, smart people uh, make the world go round, and, uh, you know, you follow the money. If you follow the smart money, you're going to do better. Uh, this week, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, made some announcements. But so, now, like, I think one of the problems with Berkshire Hathaway these days is I don't know if Mr. Buffett's running all the portfolios now. So I'm just going to say that ahead of time. But uh, they added Verizon and Chevron and Marsh McLennan to their portfolios. They increased their holdings in to 20% almost, by 20% almost in Merck, Bristol Myers, and, and Avdi. They sold their entire Pfizer position for those of you who like Pfizer. And they were a net seller of equities in the fourth quarter. That's interesting. Okay, so, uh, now I also noticed Bausch and Loan, uh, BHC is a symbol. Mr. Icon bought a 7.8% position in it, which is a pretty good size. And Glenview Capital, which is a, uh, a very aggressive, uh, group to, uh, help companies along, shall we say, uh, also has a position in, in that, uh, particular scenario too. Now we had some real interesting stuff go on this week, uh, and and I, I it, you know this could be pretty big I think, but we had uh, um, some of the, the merger candidates be bought uh, you know the acquisition type things what they call SPACs special acquisition companies. Uh, we had put Pioneer Merger, which is a shell company, obviously. Uh, we had Rick Gerson, who's co president of it, buy forty five million dollars worth of stock. That's a lot. And then we had uh, decibel therapeutics, which uh, c- came around, I don't know, 10 bucks and went to, to like 21 then closed the next day at 15. We had OrvaMed advisors, which is smart money. And Peter Thompson's was just smart money each by about $30 million worth. Uh, I think there was a couple other, you know, Glaxo Smith bought 2.7 million. That same thing. And Matt Fox, i uh, Foy. I'm sorry. bought 2.7 million. So, uh, they they uh, must like uh, decibel therapeutics. So, um, you know, you always like to see multiple buys, and uh, that's a good one. Now, there's there's another one called Net One UEPF Technologies. And remember, several weeks ago there was huge insider buying. Well, they're back, uh, and it, Anthony Ball and uh, Mondi Nicosi both bought $150,000 worth. They are – there's 14 insiders that have bought that in the last month or so. And then uh, Larry Robbins uh, bought uh, also uh, – by the way, he's a director uh, of Longview Acquisition Corp. He bought $25 million worth. Once again, they are one of those SPACs. And then the CEO and director of uh, Bumble, Inc., which is a software company, was a huge winner on the open, uh, bought $21 million worth. His cost was $43, though, Okay. And then, Eyestring Yale Materials. Remember, we were talking about the, uh, you know, th- these guys were buying at 50. It's now 95, 96. And we have uh, one, two, three, four buyers, uh, the Butler family again, uh, buying $6.2 million each, which is interesting. That's a lot of money. Um, and then, uh, Encores Bio, uh, Inc., which is a biotech, just got creamed. It was a $40 stock and now it's 17. Uh, Jim Flynn, who's a very smart guy, by the way, bought, uh, six, uh, 5.7 million. Um, also Corvus, uh, we had Orbevend again, uh, step up to the plate and buy, after it got crushed, by the way, it was, uh, you know, a $5 stock. It's now a three seventy dollars stock. Uh, he, they bought 4.4 and Peter Thompson, once again. Uh, bought 4.4 million. Uh, I think there was a couple other people that bought Corvus, too. Uh, Richard Miller, who's the present CEO, bought $350,000 worth. He owns like a million, so that's always a good sign. Uh, I did notice that Ed Ludwig at CVS bought uh, $216,000 worth of stock. That's uh, There were several buyers of that just this summer, as you may recall. So that's kind of interesting. We had uh, KKR, Bob Scully, uh, who's one of the head guys there at a new high, basically, at $48, bucks, uh, bought uh, $1.2 million worth. And then um, we had Next Immune. We had two people buy, uh, uh, Saul Bearer, who's a director, buy a uh, million dollars worth. And then also um, uh, Grant sig who's a director, bought $3 million worth. Uh, by the way, I forgot on, on, on Bumble, we also had a director buy half uh, a million dollars worth uh, uh, there. Several buyers in Cody. You know, which has been going sideways for several years. Uh, Bob Singer, who's very smart money, and uh, Oliver Goudet, who uh, they they bought about a million dollars between the two of them, and then Signify Health. Uh, We had almost the entire executive branch, uh, which is this is a new issue too, by the way. Uh, At a high, they all bought about three hundred thousand. There was six of them, so uh, a lot of uh, buying. You know, uh, you you like to see that when multiple guys buy it on the new issue. and also, uh, the uh, Southern National Bank of Virginia, we had three buyers of uh, about a million dollars worth. So quite a few uh, people out there still buying, uh, and it's mostly stocks that are down. Remember that. Mostly stocks that are down. So, uh, you know, remember that part and just keep that in the back of your mind. I, uh, As you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> buy low, sell high. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, Look, I, I think right now uh, you got to start to think about, you know, planning ahead. You know, I always talk about wealth plans on this show, and I always, you know, talk about, you know, Noah didn't start building the ark before it started raining, okay? He built it well in advance. So, you know, we, we have these wealth plans and these, uh, you know, financial plans for our retirement plans, but we buy a stock and we just, you know, we forget about it, okay? Um And I think what you have to be doing is thinking, what's Tim been saying? Okay, we get the bullish percent at 76, well, over 76, almost 77. You've got the advanced decline line going, you know, not participating with the move to new highs. Uh, And, you know, look, um, the speculative excesses of the short-term market condition uh, may be apparent to a lot of people, okay, as the excesses are frequently discussed in the media every day, but I think, you know, one of the possible pieces of evidence of specular excess is the stronger relative performance of the smaller stocks. Now, I don't know if that's going to go away, but there's a big differential between it and the S&P 500. And, um, you know, the question is, is this the beginning of a, a two- or three-year uh, small cap move, or is it the, you know, is it going to die, and, and then uh, we'll be back to large cap stocks? Usually small cap outperformance lasts two or three years. Their corrections are hairy. All right. Now we've gone straight up from the bottom in 2000. I mean, and uh, from April till to where we are right now. So uh, a a sell off could be it'll it'll spark some interest from some of my clients. I think they'll, they'll, uh, there'll be some raised eyebrows. Okay. So the question is, when does it start? We don't have any idea on that i'll just say is the s&p is at the high end of its range uh you know there's quite, quite a bit of support at 37.50 and then there's more support at 35.25 or something like that uh, so it's you know from 3900 that's a pretty long way away so i think you've just got to be uh be careful all right now the other thing i want to talk about is gold you know gold has been an uptrend uh you know we talked about it back in 2018 and to buy it and we did fairly well on it um, but gold itself has had a lot of support at 1700 but it did break its uptrend line dating back to the summer of 2019 when it started its advance it did break to a new high so i don't understand it looks like they're using bitcoin uh as the the new uh you know um version of gold okay so that that's something to keep in in the back of your head and and uh, you know be be smart about it now look there's a lot of parabolic trends out there all right and you know one of the things about parabolic moves is they're like dominoes when they start to click down they all click down okay and you know i'm i'm seeing it i've seen several moves click and uh uh you know unfortunately there's been a couple that hit before i was expecting it take it from there so Go to WHK 1420 AM. Go to local local podcast down to Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes. Uh, you can you can go into my webpage. You can look at Bob Dickey. You can there are also insights. There's a lot of good stuff on that insight page. Uh, you can get our ADR list, our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our small cap ideas, our multi-cap ideas. Uh, it also has all my back shows. So you can listen to see if I'm telling the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In the time, have a great weekend. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Remember, buy low, sell high.